0: Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross, and it is time for a preview of the 2023 Paris Bear Sea Masters. The last 1,000 of the year. Can you believe it? I could cry. Could, couldn't could you cry that it's the last Masters? Um, on, a, on a more positive note, this is a double Monday Match Analysis day. And uh, just want to plug that, like if you're going through your feed and You know, normally you only see one Monday match analysis and you're a little bit confused. Uh, Just so you know, obviously the Vienna and Basel, mostly Vienna, uh, breakdown has also been posted today. So if you are interested in my thoughts on Yannick Sinner's second win over Daniil Medvedev in about a month's time and FAA's run in Basel, uh, please do check that out. If you are new to the channel. The preview pertains many things: a quarter by quarter preview with a dark horse that is an unseated player I think has the best chance to go deep, an upset alert who is an a, a seated player who I think is most likely to lose early, early popcorn match which is a first or second round match that I don't think you should miss, and quarterfinal predictions, which is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, intro for Paris Bear C, uh, yeah. There have been some wacky, wild, surprising results over the years at this particular Masters One Thousand event. It is a very low bouncing hardcourt. It's not the fastest. I would say it's it's medium pace, obviously because it's indoors. I can still favor good serving and you know excellent offensive players, but it's not lightning speed by any means. And I think the most unique aspect of the conditions is just how low the ball tends to stay. So when I think about uh, who is suited to these courts and who is not, that's mostly what I am considering. It is also the return of Novak Djokovic, the, the return of Carlos Alcaraz. They are both in the draw. So with that, let us get into it and let us begin with Novak Djokovic's quarter. Who is the number one seed? Oh, by the way, this is a, you know, a 56 draw with... So 56 players, top eight seeds get a buy. It's the, the Masters 1000 format that we all love. I think we all love it at least. And it's going extinct. So y- you get right into it. The early matches are intriguing right away. Even the seeded players get really usually pretty difficult matches right away. And uh, the first round can get a little bit crazy in this format compared to the other format, which is more like a major. Like, you'll get some upsets, but there's also a lot of comfortable matches for the top players. Uh, So, yeah, I did want to throw that out there as well. I'm excited. I I like this format uh, better than the other one, honestly. Okay, top seeds. As you can see, only four in this 56 draw. Uh, Djokovic, Runa, Fritz, and Shelton. There are 16 seeds, to be exact. Uh, So four in each quarter. Djokovic, Runa, Fritz, and Shelton. My dark horse is Arthur Fies. Feast two indoor hardcourt tournaments in France this year. Two semifinals. Talking about Montpellier, talking about Marseille. That was back in February. That was early in the year. Fices is even better now. He took it a step further. He made the final in Antwerp. So you look at Arthur Fices's resume, who I'm very high on. He's a great prospect, hits the ball extremely hard, moves extremely well, serves pretty big. He's played four indoor hardcourt season indoor hardcourt tournaments. Tour level this season, and he has been semi-final or better in three out of the four. And obviously, you know, it's easy to excuse the loss last week in the first round because he was coming off of a final. Uh, he's got Daniel Altmaier first. That is a pretty good draw in this format. And then he has the winner of Fritz or Bias. So Feast is my dark horse. Upset alert is Taylor Fritz. I think he might be struggling with the pressure of the race uh, he's an offensive player with low confidence. You don't love to see that. He's better on higher bouncing hard courts. And Sebastian Baez in the first round, he's starting to figure out how to play on hard court. The results ever since, you know, he had that run in Winston-Salem, uh, the results are a lot better on hard courts, which you, you knew that would kind of turn around. He wasn't just going to never win on hard courts after the the brutal start to his career. Um yeah, he's, he started to turn that around. So it's not a cakewalk first round. Popcorn is team versus Vavrinka. It's been a while since we've uh, seen these guys face off. Vavrinka leads the head-to-head. He's on a three-match winning streak. Um, team has come through qualifying. Good wins. He beat Lorenzo Sinego. He beat Christopher O'Connell in qualies. Also low-key, his best tennis last year was on indoor hardcourt. It's obviously, you know, when you think of the normal Dominic team, you're not really thinking, oh, like, he's an indoor hardcourt guy. No, but if you actually look at how last year played out, that is what happened. And he played pretty well against Tsitsipas recently as well. Vavrinka, he's lost some momentum since the U.S. Open, but he's at his best in first rounds. So... I'm actually pretty intrigued to see which way this one goes. I kind of have a feeling about team here that he's going to take this. And obviously you have two of the uh, the best one-handed backhands in the world right now uh, facing off against each other. So that's always fun. I'm looking forward to that one. All right, quarterfinal prediction here is Novak Djokovic defeating Arthur Feast. You know, it's not always that I have my dark horse actually, you know, capitalizing and getting to the quarters. But in this case, I uh, I have quite a bit of confidence in Feast. I think he's in a, uh, a good part of the draw. Uh, two interesting rematches could loom for Djokovic. Shelton in the round of 16, that would be a U.S. Open rematch. And Runa in the quarterfinal, potentially, that would be a rematch of last year's Paris final. Runa, he looked healthy, sorta rejuvenated in in Basel, but the physical collapse in the semifinal, uh, to me was really concerning and somewhat inexplicable. It's an indoor tournament. The matches that he was playing had not been that physical, and uh for some reason he just it just seemed like he was toast in that semifinal. Similar to Roland Garros, where he, he came out for his quarterfinal match and he was Just done in the legs and I guess it was a little bit easier to understand there because of best of five um, and and he did have some longer matches but a similar situation here so Runa physically there are still question marks there and even without the physical stuff there's still a huge range of levels and outcomes that Runa is bringing to the court now I mean he does have Boris Becker in his corner now who I think was a really good presence actually in Basel. Just watching him coach, I thought he was doing good things. But uh, there's still a lot of uh, a lot of uncertainty for me when it comes to Holger Runa and just what level he's going to play. I actually trust Feast more, so I have Feast moving through uh, that part of the draw. Uh, and then in terms of Shelton, I was actually uh, planning on giving Shelton an optimistic prediction. I like his serving. I like his energy at an indoor event towards the end of the year. And, you know, frankly, you could expect if he plays Djokovic that Shelton is going to play better than he did at the U.S. Open, and Djokovic is probably going to play worse than he did at the U.S. Open. So I don't think that's like a total gimme for Djokovic. I felt that way, you know, come the U.S. Open semifinal when I was predicting that match, I... uh, I did not hesitate picking Djokovic in straights. Uh, this one, I think, could get more interesting. But ultimately, I don't think Ben Shelton annoying Djokovic at the U.S. Open is going to help his chances here. And uh, I'm going to give the nod to Novak, especially with the return of serve prowess against a guy in Shelton who who does rely quite a bit on getting great purchase out of the serve. And uh, Djokovic over Feast, to me, is, uh, is also not all that difficult. And doesn't require much argumentation. Let's go to Yannick Sinner's quarter. Top seeds are Sinner, Rublev, Paul, and Demonor. My dark horse here is Adrian Manorino. Manorino is having an awesome year. The best of his career at 35 years old. Two titles. He's never done that before. He's also at a career high wins. For some reason, he's never done well in Paris. And that doesn't make a lot of sense. He's great in low bouncing conditions. He's great on indoor hard courts. He's obviously French. Now, maybe that's why he doesn't do well. I mean, who knows? Some players actually don't like to play in their home countries where there's more pressure on them and more distractions. But I look at Manorino and I just shrug my shoulders. Hey, it's a year of firsts. So maybe he can break through at these Paris Masters for the first time. He does potentially have Andre Rublev in the third round who he's had a really rough go against him the last uh two times they've played but other than that the draw is pretty nice Botik van de Zanschult, first round Botik starting to actually win some matches but still nothing crazy out of him uh then the winner of Tommy Paul and Richard Gasquet in the second round so so very winnable um you know he'll hope that my upset alert comes true uh, upset alert is Andre Rublev for me here, but if I'm being honest, I don't think there's a really great choice for upset alert in this quarter. Yannick Sinner is something like 18 and one in first round matches on the season. His only loss was to Lievich, and that was like immediately after he won the title in Toronto. So you could say like, "Hey, Gil, like." Maybe that'll happen again, and he'll lose for the second time this year after winning uh, a title. Sure, I mean, that's a decent argument for Sinner, but it's not great against either J.J. Wolf or Mackie McDonald. Demon plays Murray. That's a 5-0 head-to-head for Demon. And Tommy Paul plays Richard Gazquet, and Gazquet hasn't done all that much winning recently. So uh, I go with Rublev because Jordan Thompson, who's the lucky loser, is... Good in low bouncing conditions, good on indoor hardcourt, and is having a good season. Uh, Yoshihito Nishioka has been slumping, but also when he's actually really engaged and playing his best, Nishioka can actually be super bothersome. And he came through qualifying, so he has wins under his belt. And then Andre Rublev is two and five in Paris for his career. He is just horrible in Paris. It doesn't make much sense. It's really the only Masters 1000, I think, for Rublev that you look at his results and they're just randomly horrible. So all of those things combined for uh, landing on Andre Rublev. But would I be a little bit surprised, just given how consistent he's been recently, would I be a little bit surprised if Rublev lost? Uh, yes, I would. Early popcorn is Demon versus Murray. The uh, Andy Murray fans must hate me right now for making this selection because for them, it is not an early popcorn. They did not want this to happen. Not only is Demon 5-0 and versus Muzz; he's 3-0 and this year versus Andy Murray. And now they're going to play for a fourth time. But uh, I, I especially made it my popcorn, not because I'm like super thrilled at the prospect of watching this again, uh, but also because there are big implications. You know, Andy Murray is trying to be seeded come the Australian Open. He's 40 in the world right now. So... I don't know I don't know what his points to defend looks like um here I actually know he lost first round last year now that that's coming back to me so he doesn't have any points to defend winning some matches here would go a long way towards trying to get seated and then Demon is in a situation where uh if he wins Paris he can make turn if he doesn't win I don't think he can uh, but Demonor's had a big year so I don't know. I guess crazier things have happened, although that would be pretty insane. Uh, Still, there are big implications there. All right. Quarterfinal here is Yannick Sinner defeats Andre Rublev. I don't actually think that Sinner is going to get upset by McDonald or Wolf, although I will admit that first match might be his most dangerous. It honestly could. Uh, maybe not more dangerous than the quarterfinal if he plays an Andre Rublev, who pushed him really, really hard last week. But it it is a tough spot coming off of a title. And even in general, just in Masters 1000s, coming off the bye when the other players are uh, are used to the conditions and have a win under their belt. And, you know, Sinner just has played a lot of tennis. That said, if he gets through it, his round of 16 seed is Alex DiMenoor. Sinner is 5-0 against Dimonor, just like Dimonor is 5-0 against Murray. His quarterfinal seed is Andre Rublev. I have the seeds holding here. He's 4-0 against Rublev. Sinner is in completed matches. Now, Rublev was right there in Vienna, and I feel like if Andre could hit his second serve 5% better and Sinner drops off a bit, Rublev could, could get his first win over Sinner, again, in a completed match. Yannick has had to retire against Andre twice. Uh, But again, the concern here for Rublev is that he just doesn't like these Paris conditions for some reason. Uh, Gotta go with Sinner. Gotta go with Sinner. If he can uh, keep up the level, he gets the bye. Maybe he can play some quick matches. Who knows? Let's go on to Daniil Medvedev's quarter. Top seeds here are Medvedev, Rude, Herkac, and Tiafo. This is probably my favorite quarter in terms of just entertainment and being intrigued by uh, particularly the early matches. I have two dark horses here. They are Grigor Dimitrov and Seb Korda. Dimitrov has passed the second round in Paris nine years in a row. Best result semifinal. I think that was in 2017, but I didn't write down which year it actually is. Hold on. Quick check of that. Quick check of that. Oh, never mind. I can't check quickly because he's not seated. So he's not on my table. Okay, onwards. Uh, He pushed Medvedev last week to 6-4 in the third set. And now it's looking like, the way the draw is shaking out, that he's going to get another crack at Medvedev. In my opinion, better conditions for him to beat Medvedev just because it's slower. And a more worn-down Medvedev, who's coming off of the physical final, just like Yannick Sinner. And I really love how he's playing, and I've said that a lot. And I like that now, you know, he's beaten—I've seen him beat Alcaraz. You know, for a while, it was a situation with Dimitrov where it's like, how am I going to have faith in Dimitrov pulling off a big win against a top player when all year long, he just hasn't done it? Now that he's got that win over Alcaraz, at least I've seen it. It helps me believe that that maybe Dimitrov can get that win over Daniil Medvedev in the second round. And in his first round, by the way, this is kind of funny. It's a rematch with uh, Lorenzo Musetti, who's not been playing well, uh, who Dimitrov also beat first round last week in Vienna. So essentially, Dimitrov got the same draw two weeks in a row. My other dark horse is Sebastian Korda. Look, with Corda, you never know if he's going to play terrible, but he is in the much softer half of this quarter. So the bottom half of this quarter, the bottom eighth is really strong, which I'll talk about more. The top half is much more doable. And if Corda gets rolling indoors, he has the ball striking in the offense to make a run and reach that top 10 level. We've seen flashes from Korda beginning of the year and then more recently after the US Open. So I, I just think that things could be shaking out for Korda here to be getting some momentum. And when he gets momentum in conditions that suit him, uh he's really, really dangerous. I like a low bouncing court with Korda as well. Um I guess it doesn't I guess there's benefits to the high bouncing court as well, but I like his flat ball and and the way it kind of rips through the court should be able to get a nice skid uh, through these Paris courts. Upset alert. Francis Tiafo is my first upset alert. I do have two. Uh, Tiafo looked re-energized at times in Vienna, in fairness. But I think Bublik is a really tough matchup. Bublik could have been a dark horse, obviously. I considered him for dark horse. Uh, but against Tiafo in particular, I think Sasha can serve foe off the court. And I think the unpredictable stop-and-start nature of Bublik is not ideal for a player in Tiafo who likes things on his own terms. It's not that he likes to play a lot of long points and likes to get rhythm, but I just think he likes to be in control of things. And I just don't know mentally how he's going to handle the whole Sasha Bublik experience because it is a real challenge to play Bublik in that aspect of the game. And Francis, I think since the U.S. Open, there have been times where it's looked like he's had trouble engaging fully. Hercoc is also on upset alert. I know that seems weird. Hercoc has been playing great ball. There's no doubt about that. His forehand has looked a lot better. He's serving great. But the Basel final that we just saw was pretty concerning. I just think he may have picked up an injury. And the roles are reversed from Shanghai. In Shanghai, uh, these guys played in the semifinal where Korda was kind of battered. He doesn't have the best durability, and he was coming off of a three-hour match with Ben Shelton, and Korda beat him in in pretty decisive straight sets. Now the roles are reversed. You have Herkacz coming off of a title run. Korda, I think, just lost first round, uh, so he's rested, and I just think that, along with my concerns about Herkoc, um that could that could be a reversal there in favor of Corda. This, if it happens, it would obviously be really big for the race. It would put Holger Runa in great position to get that number eight spot. Early popcorn is Tiafo versus Bublik first round. I talked a little bit about it just now. It's just, it's got such a weirdness factor to me. It's got, it's got a, uh, mystery factor where like i i close my eyes and i can't even really picture what the points are going to look like. I, I think it's going to be funky and uh yeah, it's just one of those where it, it my curiosity is peaked of in terms of like what's going to happen in that match. So that's why it's my early popcorn match. There are other by the way. There are other players, right, who are unseated who I kind of want to give a shout because that's how stacked this quarter is. So you have, am I looking in the right place? Okay, here we go. You have Korda unseated. You have Dimitrov unseated. You have Bublik unseated. You have Nicholas Jari unseated. So I guess Jari's the other guy. You have Monfis unseated. You have Lahetchka, who I feel like is sneaky if, if he's playing well. You have Popperin, who's had flashes. So it's a really, really stacked quarter. I think there's going to be a lot of entertainment value. My prediction for the quarterfinal is Sebastian Korda defeats Daniil Medvedev. The situation I find myself in here is I think the bottom half is a total bloodbath, and I'm not really sure what's going to happen. I'm pretty 50-50 on Dimitrov Medvedev. And I think if Dimitrov beats Medvedev, Grigor might lose to one of these servers like Bublik or Jari. But if Medvedev wins, I think he easily gets to the quarterfinal because I think he matches up great with Bublik and Jari. So therefore, I don't know. It's tough for me to read this top half. So I'm going with Korda. Uh, Sorry, tough for me to read this bottom half. So I'm going with Korda on the top half who Medvedev hates playing anyway because Seb knows how to win that backhand a backhand pattern. And I guess the guy I haven't you know mentioned is Rude. These conditions are horrendous for Rude because his forehand, the ball stays low on his forehand. His forehand doesn't jump up off the court from his heavy topspin. I, I would like Korda against Rude, and I like Korda against Herkacz. So I don't know what's going to happen in that bottom half. All things point to me Uh, putting through Corda, in a bit of a surprise pick out of that quarter. Carlos Alcaraz's quarter. He is the number two seed. Welcome back, Alcaraz, from a short injury break. I guess he only missed one tournament, Basel. Top seeds here are Alcaraz, Tsitsipas, Zverev, and Hachinov. A lot of... uh, I guess this is kind of a, a pretty interesting quarter in terms of the seeds, especially with those top three guys. My dark horse here is Hugo Umbear. This isn't a creative pick. This is a predictable pick. But Umber has won three matches at each of his last three events, and he's one loss under 500 against top 10 players. So how could he not be the dark horse? I just think if, if he's not the dark horse, that's just uh, getting too cute. It's it's wrong to not make him the dark horse. There are some other names, though, that were intriguing here. Roman uh, Safulin qualified, and that might be a very uncomfortable player for Alcaraz to start against with his ruthless, early, and aggressive ball striking off the ground. Fuchevich also qualified impressively. Straight set wins for him. And uh, he's Mr. Dark Horse in best of five, but this is best of three, so I passed on Upset alert is Pass. and I feel kind of bad about this because I know I've made him upset alert a lot. I have, I'm pretty sure, pretty much been right every time, but still, he's playing some pretty good tennis indoors right now. Uh, Coming into the event, I wasn't, like, dead set on making Pass upset alert, but he's still someone who, off clay, I have to put on upset alert right now in this form when he plays elite serves, and he gets the winner of FAA and Stroof in his first match, likely. And those are both elite serves. It is also my popcorn. Who wouldn't want to watch FAA versus Tsitsipas? You know, and it might be Stroof. I didn't mean to not put... I should have put a slash Struf because it might be stroof But if it's FAA, like, there's a lot of intrigue there, obviously. You just want to see, can FAA build off of Basel and... I mentioned the funkiness on Monday Match Analysis. I mentioned the funkiness of his semifinal and his final, where it felt like his opponents just didn't show up. Well, like, I, I want a measuring stick for Felix. And Pass is a matchup that's doable for Felix. So if FAA is right, he should be able to beat Pass or at least play him very, very close. And on the other side of things, for Pass, you know, he's due for a run at a big event. It's... I guess it's been a while. I guess it's been since Wimbledon. He did look pretty good at Wimbledon, I guess. But um, yeah, it's just there's a lot of intrigue there. What can I say? Quarterfinal prediction in this quarter is Alexander Zverev defeats Carlos Alcaraz. Let's start with Alcaraz. Carlitos is too good to go his entire career without having any results on post-US Open indoor Hardcore. But he is in that prove-it phase for me. He has never done really much of anything this time of year. And Paris, in particular, has been a total horror show for Alcaraz. He blew a 5-1, 40-15 second set lead to Hugo Gaston two years ago. It is literally one of the biggest jokes I've ever seen. I mean, it's at this point, it's just kind of a funny footnote because, obviously, Alcaraz at that point was was, like, literally just starting. Uh, he he was, again, in his complete infancy. But still, it happened. And then last year, he injured himself in his match against Holger Runa. So, yeah, there's not good voodoo here in Paris. As far as the health stuff, I'm not concerned about the injury at all. Uh, Long term, It's especially, like, for ATP finals, I, I think he's going to be totally fine. But I can say I am a little concerned that maybe he's taken some time off court to recover and start to feel 100% again. And, you know, it's totally plausible that he could be lacking in some training. So, you know, while there there are a lot of examples of Alcaraz taking a week off and then coming back and winning titles. In fact, both times he's, when I say week off, I mean like an injury withdrawal. Uh, You know, you look at Indian Wells, you look at. Barcelona. Uh, I think he's literally two for two in winning titles after withdrawing with these little kind of injuries where I think he's kind of more resting. Uh, but still, I mean, it's not what you necessarily want to see. And uh, I, I think post US Open, it kind of looked like Alcaraz was, uh, or, or sorry, post Wimbledon, Alcaraz got in kind of a phase when he was coming off the long layoff where it just felt like he, he was under-trained a little bit, and the the timing and the just the control wasn't there, especially on his forehand. And I don't know, I just wouldn't be stunned to see that again this week. As for Zverev, there's one thing that concerns me, obviously, about Zverev, which is that sometimes he comes out and he gets completely destroyed by Jordan Thompson in the first round. And uh, I don't know why that's happened so often this year. If you look at a lot of Zverev's losses, they have been in straight sets. They have been completely lopsided. And that's been a strange pattern. But when he's been right and when he's been competitive in matches, I think recently he, in my opinion, is playing at the level of the fifth or sixth best player in the world. I think you got to be fair to Rublev. You can't just say decisively fifth, but... Um, especially because Rublev just beat him, but I think you got to say he's been like the fifth or sixth best player in the world. So I'm high on his level. I even liked his level when he lost to Andre Rublev. I thought that was a really high quality match. And in terms of his draw, it's been back and forth with Ct Pass recently. It's a head to head that he has done much better with recently. And these are good conditions for Zverev to play Ct Pass on. And indoors, I just think he has a chance to outserve and outsolid Alcaraz. So this feels like a Zverev spot for me. And with that, let's get to the final weekend. I will reveal it in three, two, one. Yannick Sinner defeats Novak Djokovic in three sets. Alexander Zverev defeats Sebastian Korda in two sets. And in the final, Zverev defeats Sinner in three sets. Let's go through this. I'll start with Djokovic. Look, last year, I was pretty certain that Djokovic was going to be a world destroyer all fall. He had something to prove to himself and to the locker room after missing the hard court summer, and he he was playing a lot of little events to get ready for events to to kind of warm up and build up, I should say, to events like Paris and the year-end championships. This year, it's been a different story. He's taken time off. And I just don't know that that same fire is going to be there. It's been a long, successful year for Novak. And he's coming off of a very long break. And I'm just not fully expecting him to be at his best. As for Sinner, you know, the only question is, when does he hit that physical wall? It'll probably happen at some point before he crosses that 2023 finish line. But you just don't know when it's going to be. And the way Sinner is moving... And serving and striking the ball and even volleying is crazy good, and it helps physically that this is all indoors. He'll need some quick matches, but to me, if Sinner gets to the semis and he saved his body at least a little bit, and um, you know he's able to to come into the Novak match with legs, I, I make him the favorite in that. As for the other semi-final, you know, Korda is my least confident semis pick and Zverev would be a tough matchup for him anyways. I'm going to leave it at that. In the final, who I pick to win? There are enough question marks for me about Sinner's fatigue levels that, you know, at a certain point it's like when does it end, right? You have him beating Djokovic in the semis. When does that wall come? Again, that's the question. Might it be in a final? It it could be. Yeah, after playing Djokovic, yeah, it could be. Um, Now, Zverev presents similar challenges as Djokovic and Medvedev do to Sinner. He's that same mold of player. And even though Yannick is learning how to beat that kind of player, that's been very evident, it it still takes a lot of work rate. It's still harder to beat those kind of great defenders. So I, I could just see it being a little bit too much for Sinner to go back-to-back back here after such a big physical uh, Vienna effort and to to win Paris. The concern with Zverev is that he hasn't done well against top 10 players this year. But, you know, there's no such thing for this tournament as a pick that I can't find issues with. Maybe that means that someone absolutely wild is going to win it. Um, I think it, you know, at the same time, I do think... The top, the the top of the game right now is uh, is loving the the indoor hard courts in general. So that is kind of brings me more towards thinking that it's not going to be all that crazy like we've seen Paris bercy see in years past. And uh, something tells me that Zverev, who's just kind of built up and built up and built up all year, something tells me that he might sneak another big title here at the end of the year, where you know he still kind of has a lot to prove. He's made a final here. He's good in Paris. He's got a great record in Paris, I'll add. I think his record and this I am going to be able to check. Uh yeah, his record is 10 and 5 in Paris. He made the final here in 2020. That is tied with that is tied for third with Daniil Medvedev for most wins at the Rolex Paris Masters. Obviously, Djokovic is first, not even close with 45 wins. Um second place is 10. Medvedev and Zverev tied. So, yeah, I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling Zverev this week. Not sure exactly what the content plan is going to look like, but uh, there should be some post-match analysis uh, here and there. There should be a mailbag. I am going to Game uh, 5 of the World Series on Wednesday, uh, Diamondbacks, Rangers. So so that, I have a little trip to Phoenix coming up, um, and I have to kind of plan around that. So, hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on morning. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is gonna be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah, it's, a mini fr- yeah, it's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly